And we are Paranormal Chicks. And y'all, guess what? We're still in 31 Nights of Halloween. And we have a special guest with us this week, this episode, this time. Anyway, his name is Brandon Schecksnyder, and he is from the amazing podcast, Southern Gothic. Y'all know, you've heard about him. I have a huge crush on him. He is the daddy of all daddies. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, yep, not going on my feet. (laughs) Brandon is here, and he is going to share us a story that we don't even know anything about it yet. So sit back, get comfortable, and prepare to be spooked. Hey, y'all. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. I miss you guys. It's been, what, a month and a half? And I I I was just in Hattiesburg, and I missed you. You didn't stop by. That's the problem. You didn't call. Uh, You you didn't write. You just drove on through. (laughs) I sent you a message. I I just didn't know you wanted (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you did right. Technically, you did right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I swear to God, you know where I went when I stopped in Hattiesburg, aside from the gas station? I went to Krispy Kreme. In did you really? <laughs> yeah. Was it yeah. hot and ready, though? Uh, it wasn't. It was in the afternoons. Oh. Cause, so I was driving down to get Brianna and my parents after the hurricane, and I was going to bring them back up here, right? So I stopped in Hattiesburg to get gas, and I texted my dad i was like is there anything you need this is like the last sign of electricity for the next hour you know <laughs> yeah and uh and he's like your sister wants donuts <laughs> and, and like i swear to god it was like serendipitous i just got off at the right exit and there was crispy cream right there so that's hilarious I, yep so i missed you guys but i totally got like a nice iced lemonade and a, a 12 pack of assorted crispy creams from yeah. hattiesburg but Anyway, my story tonight, since I just broke into talking about the hurricane, I'm going to tell you guys a story that kind of, it's a little personal about that. And the the hurricane and everything really kind of, it makes me want to tell this story some more. So I'm going to tell you about a supposed voodoo curse this evening. So I'm just going to start out. Have you guys ever, do you spend a lot of time ever going in the direction of New Orleans? Y'all ever hang out down there in Southeast Louisiana? I know y'all are close. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We go to New Orleans all the time. Yeah, Carrie goes a lot more than me. Have you ever heard of this restaurant called Middendorf's? Uh uh-uh. uh. It is okay. So this was like it was. It is. It's it's like the best seafood restaurant. It's everybody takes trips out from New Orleans. It's a place called Middendorf's. It's on I fifty five and it's on this little isthmus between Lake Pontchartrain and Lake Moripaw. And it's it's this swamp area. It's called Manchac Swamp. All right. And this restaurant, I mean, we used to go there. It was like every, you know, for graduations and stuff. This was like the cool, nice, you know, restaurant, the seafood restaurant. But so that's what most New Orleanians and, and folks know it. And 
You head out to that swamp, you go west of New Orleans, and right after you get out of the city, you end up on these long bridges, these long concrete bridges that are just taking you over swampland, and you just see nothing but just swampland. And all this stuff used to be cypress swamps, right? All these things used to be, it was just covered cypress swamps and pelicans as far as your eye could see, <laughs> and just this thick swamp coming out of New Orleans. And now it's it's been thinned out a lot, and this story kind of talks about that a little bit, but uh, right there where Middendorf's is, is it used to be a town right there called Frenier. And Frenier's not there anymore. It's totally gone. And Frenier was, it was first founded somewhere in the 1830s. It was a, a community of German immigrants, which is is close to my heart because Schecksneider is, is a name from the German coast, which is, we were all the Germans that the French people convinced to come over and farm for them in New Orleans. We were the the poor farmers in Germany and the French people couldn't farm themselves in New Orleans and we saved their asses. So <laughs> the uh, so this little community called Frenier was out there for not quite a hundred years. It it started kind of uh, it started building up out there. They were they were chopping down, they were doing logging communities of these cypress trees and chopping down all these cypress trees and made a made a good bit of money out there doing cypress. And then eventually they started farming cabbage and it was a a small community that you could only get to by railroad, even at the turn of the 20th century. So I'm going to tell you about probably their most infamous resident. Out in Frenier is, like I said, it's mostly German immigrants. You can really only, there's no electricity out there. You can only get there by railroad. Only way in and out is railroad or Piro, right? You can get out there yeah. by oh, This is <laughs> totally Cajun country. I, 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 I feel, did not bring that up at all, but out there, you know, it was a small community, a few hundred folks were out there. And one of their residents was a woman by the name of Julia Brown. And Julia Brown was, a lot of people say that she was a voodoo priestess. And Julia lived out there. From what we can tell, she was, she moved out there somewhere around 1890. She's on the 1890 census record and lived out in Frenier. And she lived with her husband, Celestin Brown. And they had about 40 acres of land and were likely uh, likely farm cabbage, something like that out there. But Julia was, she's well known in the community and, uh, and very much filled this kind of stereotypical role for, for a black woman during that time of, you know, she was considered on the edge of town and they called her Aunt Julia. And supposedly she used her knowledge of voodoo to help with some of the healing, some of the childbirths and just kind of all those things because New Orleans was, you know, an hour train ride away. You'd have to wait a week to get help if you needed some type of uh, medical assistance. And Aunt Julia filled that need for this this small town of Frenier. You know, Julia did that for a long time and she became a beloved member of the community. And then one day something happened. We don't know what it is, but the legend says that at some point her relationship with this small little community, it started to sour. It might have been, it looked like Celestin, her husband died uh, somewhere before 19, between 1900 and 1910. It looked like he passed away. Uh, there's a good chance looking at research that she, we think she actually had, what looked like she had some children on the census records, but then they disappeared and we haven't been able to find them. So she, she may have had children and lost her children. I don't know. Something happened. Something happened. And Aunt Julia started having a bad relationship with the people of Frenier. So legend says that what she did was she basically started spending her days on the edge of town after Celestin died, just on her front porch in a rocking chair, 
fiddling around with yarn, tying knots in yarn, and singing this song. And the song was ominous, of course. And she was probably singing it in French. She probably French was her first language because at that point, she's about 80 years old. And this was 1915, 1910 to 1915. So she was likely born into slavery in Louisiana, likely to a Creole family. So she was singing in French, would have been singing, when I die, I'm going to take the whole town with me. When I die, I'll take the whole town with me. And this little old lady sat on her porch. When I die, I'll take the whole town with me. Obviously, people were freaked out, right? Right. You are in this little swamp community. I mean, who wouldn't, right? Little swamp community. It's primarily a German immigrant white community. And, and you have this woman who's been taking care of your kids and been a part of the community that this black woman that you don't even understand what her religion is or anything is telling you that she's going to take out the town when you, you know, right. that's pretty scary. Absolutely. Well, then on September 28th, 1915, Julia Brown died. And as far as we can tell, she died of natural causes. She's approximately 70 years old at the time and she died. And now this community had to decide what the hell, like what's going to happen to us, right? Right. So two days later, Aunt Julia had her funeral. The whole town showed up, whether, you know, that whether that was out of fear and they wanted to appease her soul, uh, whether or not she just was such a beloved member of this community that they all wanted to be there. She had her funeral and they all showed up. But at her funeral, that day of her funeral was particularly eerie outside. It was one of those days where Everything was just dark and calm, and it felt like something bad was about to happen. So, of course, there was only standing room at her funeral. So, in the middle of her funeral, all of a sudden, you hear the rain start hitting the roof. You start hearing the wind pick up. And this wasn't any wind. It turns out that in the middle of her funeral, the great hurricane of 1915 was passing through Frenier. It was literally hitting a Category 4 storm. At that point in time, this was the largest recorded hurricane to have plowed through New Orleans and up the river. And it was hitting on the exact time that Aunt Julia Brown's funeral was happening. So, obviously, people are freaked out. This is a big deal. This hurricane's hitting. Everything's going crazy. The storm surge is starting to whip up. And anybody that's ever been in a hurricane, the winds from a hurricane are scary as shit. So hopefully I'm not triggering anybody's PTSD here from down in New Orleans. Because trust me, I grew up going through these hurricanes and some of these are just freaking scary. So you can imagine 1915, you can't get out. The only way in and out of town is by boat or by a railroad. And this wind is hitting. Some of these people might have known. They might have known it was coming. But, you know, knowing the weather back then, you didn't know it like you did now. Plus, they were in this isolated community. So there's no telling what they knew was going on. But, of course, this hurricane was just enormous. The storm surge is coming up. People are running to get help, to get protection. There are people climbing trees to get away from the, from the rising waters. There's people that are going and trying to get in the railroad. The, the railroad tries to take off to New Orleans with folks in it, and it barely gets away. Frenier, by the end of this, was completely destroyed. Almost everyone in that community was killed in this hurricane that started during Aunt Julia's funeral. 
And this is all recorded fact. This hurricane happened during Aunt Julia's funeral. This is in newspaper reports from two days later. This hurricane actually happened exactly at the time of Aunt Julia's funeral. So, of course, the legend was born. Did she cause this? Was this actually Aunt Julia's doing? Did she destroy the town of Frenier or not? That's the question that we've been grappling with since then. So, I don't know. What do you guys think? Does that sound like <laughs> Does that sound like something that's real or not? I mean... I don't know. Because you think about at the time, you know, they didn't have the Weather Channel being like, the storm's coming and it's going to follow this path, much less the ability to predict where it's going to, like where the landfall is going to be mm-hmm. and all of that. But on the flip side, the timing is just so, I mean, such a coincidence. Yeah. I don't think she was an evil person. So I don't think she would have that much like anger. But like you said, you don't know what happened and made her snap if that's what happened. I mean, you know, I'm a believer. I am a believer. So I'm like, she did it beyond the grave. She did it. You know, some people keep their promises. Yeah, that's speaking (laughs) from trauma over here. I was going to say a bitter party of one. (laughs) Always a party of one, never a party of two. Well, you know, there's a lot, I think there's a lot more to this story even, but that's the classic telling that a lot of people say. Frenier has never really come back. Right now, there's a little swamp tour there. And if you go take the swamp tour, then you can see uh, it's actually, it's it's a prop. It's not real, but they have a little cemetery there in the swamp tour, uh, which would represent what the community of Frenier is. Uh, My understanding, I, I haven't looked at it personally, and I should have plugged this, but you know, my this is where it's going. My sister, Brianne, is my researcher, is, is the my partner on Southern Gothic, even though she's the introvert that doesn't want her voice ever heard. <laughs> and she's done a massive amount of research on Julia Brown. And, and that Cajun Pride Swamp Tour you can go on is actually, you actually will pass over a part of the land that Julia Brown owned. But Frenier's gone. Frenier is, is there's nothing there. And, and, the, and the other town of Wagaman and, and Rudock are also completely wiped out. This was a real hurricane. This was wow. an immense hurricane that happened. And it really did happen then. But part of why this is a big deal in this story is for me is that Julia Brown has kind of become what we feel like our guardian angel now. So we we heard this story and this was one of the first things when we decided to do Southern Gothic, that this was a story that we're going to look up. And Brianne has spent an immense amount of time tracking down every piece of paperwork that she can find on Julia Brown and trying to tell us who she really is. And this is what we found out. Basically, in the 90s, there was a, a Weather Channel show that came out and it it came out, it was called American Supernatural. And that was the first time that Julia Brown really came out in pop culture in this story. And, and they told the story exactly like I just said, this is the legend. This was a pissed off voodoo priestess. She was mad and she destroyed this town. And this was the story in the 90s when that came out. And then other stories have come out more and more. And we've found that from the time that she died, this entire legend has gone from one thing to another. And that newspaper article that I mentioned that came out two days after she died mentions nothing about voodoo. Nothing at all. Mm. She was just a beloved member of the community. Then in the 70s, a newspaper came out that was kind of a retrospective one of the few surviving people, they were, they were a teenager. Her name was Helen Schlosserberg. Uh, she was a teenager when this hurricane came over and she was doing an interview in this local newspaper and they asked her, they said, do you think that Julia Brown cursed the town? 
Now, as far as we can tell, this is the first time that the oral history of Julia Brown as a voodoo priestess actually was written down, was in the 70s. This is the first time where we actually see somebody publishing, hey, Julia Brown, she's a, she's, she's a voodoo essentially right. is what, right. you know, and it's in the seventies in the and, and Helen Schlosser Berg, she comes back and she says, you know, even if she was, she would have been trying to warn us. She wasn't trying to curse us. She would have been trying to warn us. Mm. So as far as we can tell, it, it sounds like historically speaking, she actually was beloved and this wasn't a thing. Now we can go in all the stereotypes and all in the seventies and horror movies, all of a sudden voodoo kind of becomes a little bit of a stereotypical thing. And I don't know, did you guys see, what was that movie? Skeleton Key? Yeah. Skeleton I Key love that movie. Out, do you remember that? We were probably in high school when that came out or something. Yeah. Right? I mean, that was yes. fairly recent. Just the most racist, stereotypical piece of shit ever. You know, that stuff plays a lot into these stories as to what it is. So my sister spent a massive amount of time researching this and looking at it. And we found out Celestin, they got this property. Celestin, he fought for the United States Army in the Civil War. He was a member of the U.S. Colored Troops. And so he was given this 40 acres of land to go and farm because he was in the Civil War and fought for the United States. And, and so we kind of feel like in a lot of ways, Julia Brown wasn't actually a voodoo priestess. Some people would argue otherwise. I, I know that there's some folks in New Orleans that claim otherwise. Um, but I feel like she's very likely what's called a root worker, which would have been essentially just herbal medicine. It would have been somebody who grew up having to take care of themselves. And it was passed down from generation to generation as to this is the herbal remedies from around. So she's likely likely a, a root worker. We can't find anything at all that she's related to Marie Laveau. That's always anytime somebody talks about voodoo, you're related to M Marie Laveau. And, <laughs> um, but I believe firmly that if Julia Brown really did have any type of, of magical anything or spiritual anything, I, I think that now she's taking care of my sister, to be honest, because uh, this hurricane that came through, my sister got a dent in her gutter and that was it. And I think that she wants Brienne to tell her damn story. Wow. And that's, that's why I think that Julia Brown really, and everything that, that we've found, every success that Southern Gothics had, it's always been when we tell the story of Julia Brown. It's always been when we flip a coin and flip it over the bridge in New Orleans over to her. <laughs> so um, Julia Brown is definitely, that's our favorite story. And, and if you're ever down in New Orleans, you should go check out that swamp tour and and see where she lived for sure. I like how you said that the person who did the retrospective interview said that she didn't think that she was doing that as like a curse, though that she was trying to warn them, which still makes sense with that song. Oh, absolutely. We've seen, we've kind of traced everywhere that you can find Julia Brown in pop culture at this point. And she's been on a few more TV shows and every time it kind of takes a different turn, right? And most recently, there was a show that came out called Atlas of Cursed Places. And I can't remember what channel it's on, but they went out to Manshack and they told the story of Julia. And they kind of moved the story over to saying that she was warning them not to continue to cut down the swamp. So when she was there, they were chopping down all the cypress trees. And, and these cypress trees are really what protect that area from hurricanes. This is what protects us is in the swampland down there that, that was destroyed at the beginning of the 20th century. So the latest theory, the latest kind of like evolution of her is that she was warning folks like, stop cutting down 
our damn land. Stop, stop yeah. destroying what's ours. So there's a lot of different ways we could look at it, but she definitely was a real person. And that hurricane definitely did come through when her funeral was going on. Yeah. Can you imagine being that person in your life and you never, like, she just lived her life and had no idea that there was going to be this huge story told about her for centuries. Or maybe she did. <laughs> I mean, you're right. You're absolutely dun, dun, dun. right. That, that's what's so fascinating to me is like, who was she? Who was this person? Who, you know, and mm-hmm. we like, man, we spent, so in February, Brianne found the marriage record, their marriage record. And a- anybody who's done genealogy or research knows that on marriage records, that's one of the ways you can find out somebody's parents' names. Okay. So the legend always says that her name, her maiden name was Julia Bernard. All right. And we've found no actual reference to that. And Brienne has gone through and we figured, you know, there's a St. Bernard Parish out in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. So Brienne went looking through everything she could find out there for somebody about that age. She went looking for plantations where the, in Louisiana, where the owner's name was Bernard to see if she could find Julia on one of the slave schedules. She went everywhere looking with this name Bernard, couldn't find it. So all of a sudden we found this marriage certificate and it, it is like, it is, you have to go to the library because the, li- I, I, I don't know exactly, Ancestry.com and everything was like, like you had to go to one of their locations to log in. And I waited a week because it snowed that week to go and just get this marriage certificate. And we went and found the marriage certificate and there's no maiden name on it. Oh no. my gosh. She's just fucking um, me now. So uh, it pretty much, but it gave us some more information about her. But that's the earliest we can find is when she got married. We don't know anything about her before. I don't have the date in front of me. I, I want to say it was like 1887 or so she got married. But then we found a little bit more about her husband. But that's as far as we've been able to take Julia herself. And yeah, it's it's interesting. Who was this woman? What did she know? Did she know anything? Yeah. And it kind of plays into how people, when something is unknown, they make it more scary. Like you fill in the holes. Yeah. Well, like you said, she was a root worker. Well, to other people, that could be, you know, she does voodoo because they don't understand that. So, of course, it's going to be like the scariest version to them. Well, because you fear what you don't know. And so they didn't understand potentially what a root worker was. Mm -hmm. And so they feared it because it wasn't something that they were familiar with. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's there's several things you can look at with it because voodoo itself, obviously, had a lot of negative connotations to Southern aristocracy. You know, I mean, voodoo, uh, that was the religion of the enslaved people. And that was the religion and and hoodoo over in in low country. It got even scarier to these kind of antebellum white people because the Haitian revolution happened and Nat Turner's rebellion and, and all of that kind of had this religious voodoo element. So voodoo became, you know, that's something we need to fear. So there's mm-hmm. definitely that element there. There's also, though, this stereotype in all ghost stories, every culture, that person on the edge of town. I mean, right. we see it everywhere. Yes, right? yes. So over by you guys, there's one up in Yazoo City. Have you guys ever been up to Yazoo City at all? Uh, no, no. Uh, we don't no. go anywhere. Okay. You don't go anywhere? Okay. <laughs> nope. Well, Yazoo City's up by Jackson, and there's, a, there's a, the Witch of Yazoo, and it's a story of basically how this witch lived on the edge of town and 
city pissed her off. She burnt down the town. Sure enough, you know, this yeah. is, I mean, this is a theme that comes and goes stories all the time. So isn't there a, in the cemetery, like a tombstone of her or something? You do know the story. There you go. I, yeah. Yeah. I know when you said that, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I do know this. Yeah. The, the way the story went was basically, and forgive me, I, I'm not prepared on this one, but my understanding. So this witcher Yezu, she lived on the edge of town. Uh, she was killing people, I believe, something like that. Uh, there was quicksand involved, if I understand it right. Where they, came, <laughs> they came after her and she went running and something and got caught in quicksand and they caught her and they buried her in Yazoo City Cemetery, which is a beautiful cemetery if you get out there. It, I mean, beautiful in the sense of it's just, it is huge and it's old and it has all these parts to it. And it just is so interesting. And she's buried in this cemetery and around it are these iron chains. Okay. Yeah. And so after they bury her, basically there's the premonition that the town's going to go down in a similar way as Julia Brown. And then Yazoo City catches on fire and, you know, 90% of the city or something burns down. And they all go to the cemetery after. And the chains that were around it that were supposedly to keep her in the grave were now broken and laying on the ground. So that's the story of the Witch of Yazoo, which, I mean, really, it's not that different from Julia. Except for, you know, Julia was never actually found. We don't know where Julia ended up. Gosh, yeah. So there's your scary shit for Halloween right there. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Love it. I love it. And I love that it is personal to you and your sister and your podcast. Oh, yeah. Yeah, We man, we grew up hearing about these stories down there. You guys did too. I mean, y'all, you, you know, we're, we're Southerners, man. We, <laughs> uh, when we started Southern Gothic, the, the whole idea was like, tell me the stories your mama told you and yeah. let me go look up and see what actually happened. And, <laughs> True. and that, that was kind of like our guiding principle coming into Southern Gothic. And it's incredible, man. Anytime we put out a story, I'll just get a text message from just some random friend that I went to college with or something and be like, oh my God, I grew up right next to that. You know, I mean, my yeah. wife, my wife grew up next to where the Bell Witch lives in the, oh, in the next shit. town over. And, and even her, I, her understanding of what the Bell Witch is totally different than what, you know, when you really research it and everything. Right. So, you know, our mama's lied a little. But, you <laughs> yes. <know. laughs> they had to do something to keep y'all in line. <laughs> I'm looking at you two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shoot us too. I heard y'all podcast before. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm not used to being this serious with you two either. Oh my gosh. Uh, We're usually cutting up somewhere. My favorite thing, we we all hung out at the True Crime Convention podcast in Kansas City and we skipped some of the panels just to hang out and talk about (laughs) ghosts. Uh, We were were the bad kids. (laughs) I love that too. I did. Oh man, I had a blast. That was fun. I mean, again, me and you both actually, Brandon, being more of the skeptic. It was still was like, it was so fun to talk about. I'm like, so what do you think about that one? Yeah. Yeah, totally. I know it's, and you know, we should give a shout out to Creep Mom too, because her and I had a long conversation about ghost hunting and all, and she answered a bunch of questions for me. I always get, and Julia Brown's actually a good example. You know, there's, you'll, you'll watch these TV shows after you've really researched something and they'll be like, a ghost hunting TV show and they'll go somewhere that like you will learn all the history behind and they'll just totally freaking butcher it. And it, <laughs> it makes it, it makes it difficult to respect the profession that they have. Yeah. 
you know, and, and I really appreciate Creep Mom, you know, talked to, talk to me a bunch about how, how they actually do it in real life and not just on TV. And yeah, uh, that was, you know, I had fun talking to you guys about all that. It was a blast. We were the bad kids there, I think, at the true crime convention. We're always bad. <laughs> Whatever. I'm such a fucking rule follower. <laughs> That's true. She is. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, I had to take an extra anxiety pill because y'all made me skip the stupid panels. <laughs> I didn't really. Uh, did you, did you? <laughs> she no, did I not. <laughs> it was a total she's lie. a liar. Okay, she might be a rule follower, but she's a liar. I embellish. I am Southern, <laughs> ma'am. Well, I embellish you know, and I glisten. You got to. We got to be on that panel together and made Donna sit in the crowd because you two would have just totally overpowered us. No, Nobody because Donna talk. True, but Donna likes to play because this girl in this type of setting won't shut her damn mouth. Mm-hmm. You put her up there, she's gonna be like a deer in fucking headlights. Yeah. Really? Oh yeah, she yeah. no way she could have done that. Well, I tell you, you know that yeah. they tell you to like look out in the audience and picture the audience naked, but like Donna's smiling and big in the crowd, that was a <laughs> smile. See, and what's so funny at. is I'm totally the opposite. Like I there could have been a thousand people in that room and I would have been more comfortable than the fact that Donna and Colby and Creep Mom and Creep Beast <laughs> were in the crowd and like cheering me on. I was like, oh God, this sucks. But if it was like literally a thousand people I'd never met, I'd have been totally fun. Oh man. I well, I told you, Carrie. I mean, anytime I was like, oh shit, what do I say next? I just like shot you a look like save me. <laughs> <laughs> Please. <laughs> Her take control always. <laughs> oh no, she did great though. That was yeah, that was she a did. fun. It that was, was a, a fun good time. time. Yeah, you were we so were, prepared. I would have. T- I winged everything. Well, you know, I did all that at like two o'clock in the morning the night before. That I wasn't really like that prepared. I yeah, yeah. I got. I was gonna wing it. I had like a couple questions, and I was gonna wing it. And then we saw one of the other panels. I was like, oh shit! And we had, <laughs> it was like. What was it? It was like the party the night before, and yeah. we were all hang- we were hanging out and all. And the whole time, all I could think about is, "Oh shit, I need to go back to the hotel and write something down." <laughs> and I totally stayed up till like two o'clock, pacing around in the hotel room, oh, trying to God. trying to like make an outline for it. <laughs> well, it paid well, off because it was great. It really was. Oh yeah, that was a blast, man. That was a blast. If anybody come out next time, yes, well, everybody come out and see us. For sure. Well, thank you so much for doing this with us. You know, we love your stories. We love Southern Gothic. So y'all check out his podcast because it is amazing. He and his sister do such a great job. It's clearly so well-researched. They go above and freaking beyond. They're logging into things in the winter storm and all the things. It's what he said. I know. It was just you. I don't know. I have my snowshoes on. <laughs> Go ghost hunting. In the snow, uphill both ways. Yeah. Yeah. New Orleans boy went out in the snow, man. (laughs) That's treacherous right there. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. And I hope everybody has a wonderful freaking Halloween because this is the season. This is why we're here. Exactly. (laughs) Creep (laughs) Creep it real, right? Yes, exactly. Well, on that note, like you said, Remember, creep it real and don't don't get scared. scared.